Meanwhile, some music. All right, that seemed to have worked. All good. Okay, so let's see here. Unrehearsed, unscripted. Oh, dear. <laughs> when has it ever been rehearsed and scripted? Sometimes it takes... Uh, Joe Viger Mungovin's show was really hard for me to prepare for, actually. Surprising. It might surprise some people to hear that, but because I had already done an Elephant Man show. Um, yeah. And, you know... I, 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 over the years, I've gotten better at preparing. Um, I think when it's like my colleague, it's a one-on-one interview show, or it used to be that I could have, and hopefully the Cornwell show might go that way this weekend, this coming weekend is that, you know, in the good old days, I'd have seven people participating in a podcast and, um, I could literally sit here for 45 minutes and not say anything. So um, to clarify, you got Patricia. No, I did not get Patricia. It was, it was about, I'd say chances about 75%. Yes, she'd do it for a while there, but then something, I don't know. Um, it's, you know, I don't, I don't know what I would have preferred to have her do uh, her doing a one-on-one show with me or with just Paul Begg only would have been great for the podcast because a lot of people would listen to it. I, and you got to see where I'm coming from. You know, I, I don't really care so much about talking to Patricia Cornwell about her book as I know that her listing on the show will be the one right above Joe Viger's book interview. You, you see what I'm saying? Um, yeah, yeah. I, her, her having an episode on the show uh, and being on a main podcast page with all the other podcasts would hopefully get people to listen to those shows too yeah. and, and bring attention to some of the, the folks who I, who I really am interested in, interested in promoting. You know what I'm saying? Um, so no patricia's oh i I, basically i just gave up waiting on on cornwell six months from now um who's gonna care so i I can we move on quickly don't we yeah so i just the uh, the most popular book in the charity shops Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) so i figure we'll just do um a discussion panel episode and be done with it Oh dear boss! Who wants to say "Oh dear boss"? I usually have someone else say "Oh dear boss" for the show. <laughs> oh, oh dear boss! This is April second, two thousand seventeen, and we have with us Carl Kopak from the blog Ten Weeks in Whitechapel. How are you doing today, Carl? I'm very well, thank you. It's, it's very nice to be invited. I'm very honoured to do this. And where are you coming to us from? I'm in North London, in Hendon, in North London, at the moment. Okay, and, jo- and joining us um, on the show today is also Neil Bell, and and you're in Leicester today, right, Neil? That's right, John. Hi, John. Hi, everyone. Also, uh, John Reese, and you've moved since we last spoke, I believe, John. Uh, no, I haven't. <laughs> oh, I thought you had some house on the sea somewhere now with a big power. Yeah, no, I, have, I haven't actually moved into it. It's, it's it's still it's only about a mile away from where I was before, anyway. But uh, yeah, so it doesn't count as moving, really. <laughs> And so you're uh, in, in where? 
Swansea. Swansea, okay. Now, like I had said, Carl has been doing a series of blog posts called 10 Weeks in Whitechapel. And what's the URL for that website, Carl? It's thecentywordpress.com slash 10 Weeks in Whitechapel. Okay, and we'll provide a link to the yeah. blog, of course, um, in the podcast description. A funny thing about Ripper blogs is that there's not very many of them. And it seemed like 10 years ago or so, everybody had a blog, right? It was the most popular thing ever. And and casebook.org tried to implement a blogging platform on their message boards. And that didn't really go anywhere. And uh, there's a... Now, true crime blogs, there's a million of them, right? But for some reason, blogs just on Jack the Ripper are are pretty few and far between. I can think of David Orson's blog, which is really hard to find and is um, not for the novice ripperologist whatsoever. He goes into the minutia of, like, he'll spend 5,000 words talking about Inspector Andrews in Canada or something like that, you know, and not even mm-hmm. mention Jack the Ripper once. And then we have Richard Jones's blog that he does for his uh, Discovery Tours, Jack the Ripper Tour account. He just kind of does random historical blogs on sites and locations yeah. and things like that. You've probably seen those. They're on Facebook, yeah. He puts them on Facebook. Yeah, and those are really good. Um, but yet, but there's, but I can't think of anyone that's ever done a ten weeks in Whitechapel type blog where y- you start from the beginning and put together a series of blog posts in chronological order uh, about the Whitechapel murders from beginning to end, with uh, photographs uh, sprinkled in with your opinions. And you're a really good writer. You, are you? A, you're a sports writer originally, or well. Um- I've done. I've worked for the Times briefly as a sort of match reporter, um, but I'm I'm very much amateur level. I'm um, I write for a website called Anfield Rap in Liverpool. Uh, that's Rap with a W, um, which is a Liverpool football club um, website and podcast show. Uh, I write for another one called the Anfield Index, which is similar. Um, and I just tend to write about pretty much anything that catches my attention, really. But I've been doing it for a while. So uh, the football writing I've been doing since about 2006. Uh, and I've, I've written a couple of books as well. I've written a novel and a, uh, I did another football book about uh, what it's like to be a Liverpool fan as uh, in 2015, which coincided with um, probably one of Liverpool's worst ever seasons. So um, which one affected the other, shall we say, in terms of sales. Um, so I'm used to writing, but I've never tried anything like this before. Uh, and I just really wanted to do the blog because I just like writing and I just want to sort of, I think by, by writing, you sort of make your, you find what your own opinions are just the more you look into things. And I like researching things anyway. And uh, yeah, I just thought I, I just want to do this. I've done something similar before. I've written two blogs on, on, on Jack the Ripper, which was my WordPress site. One was just a general, um, I, I'm interested in this because of this. And I wrote a second one about my obsession, George Hutchinson, Hutchinson and uh, um, just a very small piece about, you know, his walk along Commercial Street. Um, but I wanted to do this um, 
this came about mostly as, as an accident, to be honest, because there's a friend of mine called Martin Fitzgerald, who, um, I don't know if anyone's seen this on Twitter, he writes something called Ram Album Club, Ruth and Martin Album Club, where he would ask people, I know this is going slightly off topic, uh, he would ask people, famous people, to listen to a band or an album that they've never heard to before in their life, then listen to it three times, and then write about what they thought about it. Did they change their mind? Have they discovered something new? Um, Martin is absolutely obsessed with the Kennedy assassination. So Ram Album Club changed into JF Club, JFK Club, and he wrote a 10-week series about the people um, in Dealey Plaza on uh, November 1963. And I jokingly said to him, I might just do one for the Ripper. I'll do 10 weeks in Whitechapel, covering the same amount of time. And, um, and I honestly meant it as a joke. And he replied, do it. And so I, I jokingly said to my, my followers on Twitter, should I do this? And so many people said, yes, do it. I thought, well, nothing's really stopping me. The only thing that's stopping me is I, I'm a complete amateur. I've only been interested in the subject for two years. And uh, so I thought, I could do this, but there's going to be serious ripperologists going to say, well, no, that's wrong. Um, which is why I say in the first piece that, you know, I am going to be making mistakes here. And I am going to be confused on a certain on a few certain things, which I know Jonathan and I spoke about last week. But... Uh, um, so that's where I've arrived at it, really. So I'm, I'm very much an amateur ripperologist, uh, but, I'm, I'm, but I'm used to writing, so it's something I've always enjoyed. Have uh, John and Neil, um, have either of you taken a look at Carl's blog? Yes, I, I had a quick look at it um, before uh, coming on to this, uh, this podcast this afternoon, and uh, I quickly scanned through a couple of the posts, and uh, particularly the first one, you know, to see where your interest came from. And, yeah. Uh, it's uh, I, I I quite like the idea, you know, because it's kind of like um, a Jack the Ripper 101 type thing. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the detail you go into is fantastic. I love the, you know, the pictures of the different uh, uh, sites, you know, the way they look now and stuff. So if, if someone is, you know, going around the murder sites, they can just, you know, look at get their phone out and think, oh, well, that's where that was, you know. So, uh, no, like, and you say, you know, you're an amateur apologist, but at the end of the day, aren't we all still um, exactly, yeah, amateurs, I, you know? We, 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 are, we are students of the case, you know. The day yeah. we think we're experts and uh, know everything, you know, is the the, the day we're going to have a, quite a heavy fall, I think. But um, <laughs> And uh, two years, you know, some people have uh, put out books claiming to have completely solved the case in that time. So, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I'd say you're quite experienced enough for uh, a blog. I promise, not, I, I promise not to solve the case. That, that's the commitment I'm prepared to make. <laughs> well, but it's funny you should say that about um, the, the one thing that really draws me to the case is obviously I, I live in London and have done for 20 years. And um, for me, it's the fact that I can go and walk and stand on a spot where something enormous has happened in the case and everyone else can walk past me and not have a clue. I mean, there's, I know one of Philip Hutchinson's. Um, YouTube videos, he, he talks about people sitting on it, um, I think it's Philip, talking, uh, sitting on the, what where the uh, the bench was in Mitre Square. Mm. And, you know, people just eating their sandwiches, having a nice chat, not knowing that one of the most gruesome murders in the country was committed there once, right in front of them. Mm. Um, and there's a similar story when I went to, um, I gave a, I walked around with a friend of mine and we, were, we stopped off at the Blind Beggar and we were just standing there having a chat. She said, so, you know, so the murder was here, wasn't it? George Cornell's murder was here. And I said, yes, it was, yes. And Whereabouts was it looking around? You are literally standing on it now. And she leapt back from the space where she was at the time. It's like it's going to come back and haunt in some way. And that's the fascination for me, the fact that, you know, it's the same spot. Completely different, obviously, but, you know, 
it sort of makes it all real for me. I mean, I have an advantage over most people. I can I can be in Whitechapel in an hour, but um, I think that maybe I wouldn't be into the subject quite so much if if I had to if I was a continent away, you know. So maybe I wouldn't be. But um, I think I think it's just accessibility is a big thing for me as well. The, yeah, as John hit, uh, hit on just a few minutes ago, as far as the photographs of the lo- locations as they look like at the present day, um, it's not like you are used to seeing as far as just the murder sites, murder sites, murder sites, murder sites. I mean, you go yeah. to the corner where uh, you have several photos in the, the piece on um, the Mary Kelly murder uh, t- uh, tracking George Hutchison's movements, yeah, yeah. Uh, and when she he, she ran into him, an Astrakhan man, and um, there's photographs that are different, you know, than than what mm. you would normally see. And I think that the sc- yeah. the blogging format lends itself to this type of you know, it's scrolling through a blog and and having the next picture appear at the bottom of your browser screen and all that stuff i think lends itself really well as opposed to just being you know you could have gone to like ripperologist magazine and and pitched this yeah. to, to adam and had uh, a series in in ripperologist or something like that as opposed to a blog um is there a reason why you you just chose the blog format over like a magazine or a book I think it's mostly because I'm I'm so new. I mean, not only am I new, I, I've never met another ripperologist. Um, I've been on. Um, that's not a lie. I've met John Bennett because um, I took my mother on one of the, one of one of his tours, uh, and I've been on one of Philip's tours, but didn't introduce myself because I was shy and nervous, and he seemed to know what he was talking about. Uh, so I, it's mostly just because I'm so new to it that I thought I don't really want to make a fool of myself if I get things wrong. And um, you know, which I know happens all the time, but uh, I just thought I just thought, and I also thought of it in terms of an audience as well, because I have a, a, a following is the wrong word, but there, but there are people who who follow me for my football writing, and I talk about the Ripper in my normal um, uh, my normal Twitter account from time to time, um, in a jokey way, really. So, and I wanted to basically talk to them as much as to the Ripper world, just to say, you know, this is why I do this. This is why I go to Whitechapel. Uh, and, and take photos of buildings that are no longer there or are paving stones. Um, so I wanted to sort of speak to that audience. The, the, basically me, September 2016, which is when I first started looking at the case, I wanted to be able to talk to me to that level, really, rather than to the, sort of, you know, the people who know everything about the case and, well, as much as they're prepared to, to, to read into the case anyway. So I, I just all about a new audience as far as I'm concerned. The one I normally speak to. Even like you mentioning me on Twitter and you and I talking to each other on Twitter, a lot of your friends will then start following me on Twitter. Oh, really? Okay. That's and good. and I'll I'll uh, look at their their profiles, you know, and and they're like football fans or something, you know. I mean, no no nothing that would in any way, uh, 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 you know, make them like interested in Jack the Ripper necessarily. But you're you are mm. as you said bringing in a lot of people um who are would otherwise not pay any attention to the case yeah. um oh. through your circle of friends how are you able to track how many people view your blog um yeah it tends to be something about 250 per week but uh but I, obviously I, I repeat the links a lot so my current facebook page i think my last post was the link to the last six articles five maybe um but I think it's about two to three hundred a week of people reading reading it. 
at the moment, which, which to be honest, is far more than I thought would have would have been because, you know, if you if you think I, I'll read Carl because he writes about football and I like what he says, it doesn't necessarily follow that he, that there's an interest in Victorian serial killers at the same time. So I thought that, that, that there's not an automatic crossover there, and yet yeah. it's come across. And the nicest thing that's happened about about the Twitter, um, the, the new Twitter link I've got. Um, is I'm being asked, which I think is possibly the, the greatest write, um, compliment a writer can ever get, which is where do I go next for for, for further reading? Mm. And I think if you've if you've peaked that level of of interest, then you're doing something right, which is a lovely thing. And then suddenly someone sort of start talking to me about Annie Chapman or something like that, and I thought, well, you, I'm guessing you didn't know who Annie Chapman was before you read the blog, and now you're you're like like I was in 2016. You're walking around. Thinking, okay, well, whereabouts was Mrs. Long? What direction was she walking to when she, you know, that sort of? Um, which I'm sure we've all had those moments. Um, so that that's probably the most gratifying thing from the whole blog. Really, it's just that new people are coming in and asking really, really nice questions. Mm. I think the, the blog format's great because it is publicly accessible. You know, um, Ripperologist magazine, fantastic resource. But if someone is just wants basic information on the case. You know, they type into Google, you know, they're not going to look for a full issue of Ripperologist or back issues for a series. But, you know, it'll pop up in Google as a blog. Um, you know, it could be, you know, students in st- studying it in school because it's on the GCSE history syllabus now. Um, yeah. It could be someone doing um, something, you know, project for university or something for criminology if they're studying that. You know, so it is more publicly accessible, which, you know, is, it, it's fantastic. It's also the uh, flexibility of it all as well. I mean, mm. you can pop your iPhone, you can actually be in the sites that Cole's yeah. discussing in his blog, and, and you, you're reading the words, and you're, okay, yeah, there's photos on there, but you, you can actually see the scene in front of you for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think, uh, like, like I said, I mean, the reason I've just been, I've been rather quiet is because I'm actually reading the blog now. But yeah, I mean, correct me, Neil, at the same time. Well, I was just about to say, don't worry about. I mean, we've all got it wrong. There is Stuart Evans gave me whether it be advice or whatever it was, but he once said there is no book out there, no no publication out there that's error free. There is, or, and, and the nature of it, the way research is kicking on and rather rapidly in the last ten years, is what you printed yesterday may be out of date yeah. in a couple of days' time because of the research that's, that's ongoing. Um, you know, you can't help that. That's the way it is. It's and it's all about progression. Your your blog is a stepping stone yeah. to to the next generation of researchers and research, and so on and so forth. So, don't worry about you know getting the things wrong. We all have done it before, and we'll do again. That, yeah. That's the nature of the beast. I'm afraid. Yeah, I agree with Neil, and you had um, sent um, me and Neil your last entry on police suspects and asked us to fact check it and one of the things that i mentioned to you before we started recording it's so difficult to fact check ripperology when the facts are so elusive you know there could be a well well trodden uh like let's just take tumble tea for example you mention in your your um blog posts yet to be published, but the, ne- the next one coming up, um, about Tumblety's uterus collection. Y- you know, how do you fact check whether or not Colonel exactly. Dunham actually saw Tumblety with a uterus collection? 
there are those who would say he was a complete and proven liar. And so he made the whole thing up in order to, to frame up Templeton out of revenge. But then you talk to researchers like Michael Hawley, who would have an equally good argument that Templeton was in fact carrying around a collection of medical specimens with him. So what Colonel Dumman says is probably correct. You know, you can't fact check that type of stuff. No, so. no, it's, um, it's particularly awkward. I mean, I, I haven't actually, maybe I'll put it in. I haven't mentioned, um, uh, the, the Annie Chapman's rings either with Templeton, just cause I thought, I, I don't know if that's how even that's been accepted at the moment. And I'd rather not put a rumor out. Um, the, the, the one thing I really needed about the fact-checking thing is I'm so confused about Robert Anderson and Melvick McNaughton. Incredibly confused by, by that whole thing. So um, so the, the last article I'm writing, I'm finding that a lot more difficult than the ones I've done so far, which have all been about the murders, where, you know, the, the, there is a solid sort of, you know, we know where people were at a certain time and, and what have you. But the last one I've done about um, about the police suspects is just trying to make sense of the whole chronologically of that chronology of that is, um, is proved really difficult. Um, but I'm also quite keen to avoid calling people the ripper. I've, I've stated in the, in the last one that every time someone says, I think I found the suspect and I think it's this person. Um, there's obviously a greater possibility that it's not that person. And suddenly that person in, in this world gets, gets given that tag forever. And I've always found it to be slightly uncomfortable, to be honest. Um, and I mentioned in a few things like Montessori, for example, and um, uh, and Sir William Gull. They went both the Ripper, and one of those men will be maligned by you know, by the accusation of it. So I've tried to keep away from that as well as much as possible. But, but you're right. The, the, the problem with with this sort of thing is in suspects is there are very there's so very few facts that you know one is just a man saying I saw this and. There isn't a second man saying the same thing, so where do you go with it? I think it's a very difficult thing to, to assess. Yeah, and it's, it's differentiating between fact and personal opinion. Yeah, and I've tried Pro- not to do that. I don't yeah, have a suspect, so... Yeah, and the problem we've got for our generation is we're going on previous generations' personal opinion, which is, in a way, a fact, because it is their personal opinion but it is the fact that it is their personal opinion so it just it's, it's peeling away the layers till you get to the bottom line but there is so little case evidence case work to w- work with i'm talking about police files that we then in turn turn to um contemporary newspaper reports books and then the second generation books third generation books so on and so forth and that's where the muddy uh, the waters get muddied yeah. And that's, as you say, that's really difficult to pick through. It takes time um, and an understanding, which is why I, I say to really, really know the Whitechapel murders, you've got to look away from the case itself. You've got to look at various aspects, whether it be the social aspects of the time, the policing aspects, so on and so forth, to get an understanding of that. Um, so it's a difficult thing to go through. It really is. Yeah. And even though I don't, I don't think I really do it, I try to keep it light as well yeah. because I appreciate that not everyone is really like wants to stand in the same position that George Hutchison was standing in when Lester Campbell passed him. So I've got to say, you know, I've got to keep it a level of interest there, not not to the intense minutiae that 
I might be interested in. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. But then again, that, that kind of flips to the fact that, that you're new, and that's a good thing, because you're seeing things with fresh eyes. I mean, a tired yeah. old dinosaur like myself who've been into it for 20 or 30-odd years, I do get bogged down in the minutiae at times, and it's very hard yeah. to get out of it, you know, because, yeah, you know, you, you read about, I don't know, Polly Nichols' case and the, 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 the discovery of her body. And, you know, you can get <laughs> bogged down whether she was, she was murdered at 3 o'clock, 3.30, who found the body, yeah. was murderous, so on and so forth. Whereas you've come into it, it's, it's really good that we do get, and it's important that we get new researchers and new people into it for that very reason. If anything, it, everything's fresh for you. And, it's, and, and then you probably yeah. come at something from a different angle, and which is great. Yeah. yeah and trying to fact-check um, something like... Um, what what did McNaughton know, uh, and when did he know it, or what did he believe, and why did that belief change? Yeah, it, I mean, welcome to the club, you know. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, so, so you know, he, you know, on the one hand, he says Kosminski um, resembled the person seen by the city PC, and then oh, yep. maybe he meant city police witness it being Luenda and then you know but then uh, go down the road and he's saying drew it did it so making sense of that is something is something that there's a there's a new book published every year that tries to make sense of that and they'll yeah. and and they'll they'll you know come up with a different excuse um so i think that uh, your you know f- as far as the if you're concerned about errors, uh, I mean, from what I've read, you know, it, it's uh, like Neil, Neil had said, and John both, um, f- for uh, introduction to the case, for someone who's unfamiliar with the case, you you hit so many right right um, points that what some people who have been studying this for twenty or thirty years might point out as errors are are you know kind of in the minutia of of the arguments that have taken place about the case um and um and not not so much important than to giving someone an overall picture of the events yeah you know? um yeah i noticed um in um i think it was your latest post or the one before but uh you made a conscious decision not to publish um the photographs Yes. Um, of the victims, and you advised against people, you know, search, researching them and viewing them. Um, just want to know, you know what was the thinking behind that? Is that a moral decision on your part, or just because you know you find them unpleasant, or do you think they shouldn't be out there and published in books? Um, no, and- not, 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 I never say that. Hmm. I think it's more a case of uh, when you tell people that you're interested in Jack the Ripper, there's a sort hmm. of Oh, you're a bit strange. Um, And I just thought when I said it in the first piece, but when people as, as ripperologists, if I can call myself one, we get desensitized to what happened to the people Mm. who died. And we can all, everyone here can look at the Mary Caddy picture and and, and look around the body pretty much is what we end up doing. Mm. Um, So, you know what the room was like, where the table was, that sort of thing. Um, or even initials in the wall, if you believe that. But um, for someone seeing that for the first time, that's pretty gruesome, obviously. 
And I was just didn't want to write a blog which said, look, at, look, everyone, look at this horrible picture. Great. Yeah. yeah. I didn't want that. Um, and I was going to say I didn't I didn't do it. Anymore, but I was going to say you know, the, the first three victims, obviously, Edo's and Kelly's um, those are very, very gruesome indeed. But I was going to mention, um, but I don't think I did, that the first three victims, that their pictures just look like women who are sleeping. Mm. Apart from maybe Polly Nichols, because she's been um, photographed, but and Tabram as well. So I, I didn't want to say, you know, some of them are okay. You know, they're, they're maybe wouldn't say child friendly, but you know, they're okay. But they're nothing compared to the last two. Mm. And I, I didn't want to be seen to glorifying the death of Mary Kelly because this is a woman who got killed in a horrible, horrible way. Mm. Uh, of course, the problem with that is, is I mentioned that in an article on the Ripper. That don't Google it, and of course, when you say that, people want Everyone to Google it. Yeah. And the amount of people who have said to me, I had to look, didn't I? I just had to look. For example, in uh, one of the blogs, the blog I wrote about the double event, I um, I say, please don't Google the picture of Catherine Eddowes. Don't feel you have to do it um, because it's, it's genuinely not nice. You know, it's horrible. And I mentioned the example of my friend Serena. Um, uh, so, for example, I wrote a blog before this one, just a one-off ripper piece. And I said, don't look at Catherine Eddowes. Or Mary Kelly's photos, and she sent me an email saying, "Well, I had to, didn't I? I had to look, and you know, and it's horrible." So I said, "You know, be like Serena. Don't don't make Marina's, Serena's mistake." <laughs> so um, she sent me a photo of her looking stern at me, with her finger pointed at me as, as in a sort of stern astrakhan uh, way uh, of warning. And I think hopefully that's uh, hopefully the people who are a little bit squeamish about that sort of thing will take that warning on board. But I do suspect that there are people who are going to do it anyway. Just to, just to, because I maybe accidentally, you know, pique their interest a little bit too much in what it looks like. But the main, the main point where I, I say I don't want to put the photos up is, is primarily because it's this isn't fun. That and you know it's it, it shouldn't be like a uh, being killed really horribly. And I think we should remember that. Mm. And you then you people reading the blog then don't have a choice but to look at them because they're there on the yes, page exactly. um right that's the kind it, of like yeah. what i did with the show um mm. the podcast has never used a victim photo mm. as podcast artwork even though like we've had dozens of shows about the murder you know about the victims themselves except for andrew cook's um interview where i used the cover of his book that yeah, I, was, I was going to mention Andrew Cook's quite controversial uh, book cover with the Mary Kelly picture on it. Um, people then don't have a choice. You know, the browsing books in a shop and you just see it there because it's on the cover. Um, yeah, it's, it's not, not uh, the best thing we use it. Right, because if someone comes to Carl's blog or to my podcast or a book in a bookstore or anything that that, and they're questioning whether or not maybe they want to pick it up and read it, the, the victim photographs alone could make mm. them turn away from mm. the content, yeah. you know. It, it actually went, in one example, it went the other way because somebody said to me, I didn't look at the picture, but I read your description. And I wish I hadn't read the description because now it's in my own mind. I'm trying to picture what the photo would look like. Mm. That may be worse than reality. So <laughs> you can't always win. To yeah, yeah. Right, um, I agree I, with you, yeah. That, I, I did a theatrical piece on, on the, the murders um, in 2015, and we made a conscious decision um, not to put the pictures up 
Um, so when we, 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 we had like audiovisual stuff, we didn't show any of the, the, the crime scene or mortuary photographs, but we said, you know, we had them in the en- sealed envelope. If anyone wants to look at them, they're there, but we're not going to put them on the wall. Um, you know, it's then people's choice, isn't it? And uh, some people, you know, thinking, oh, I have to look at them now, but, um, you know, that's up to them then, isn't it? It's, uh, well, I know Philip does it on his tour as well that I went to on in January, 2016. And he when he, he did pass around the Eddowes and, and Kelly picture, but he was looking around to see where the children were on the yeah. tour. And he said, you don't have to look at this. And I think I took my guide from that, really. And yeah. I was with a friend of mine who, who's my age, well, not quite my age, but um, uh, from where I am. And he refused to look at the Mary Kelly picture. And of course, I was used to it, so it wasn't a thing for me. But I thought, well, actually, I would never have thought that probably without that tour. Yeah. Like, you know, this isn't for everyone. And you can be interested in the subjects and, not, and you know, not pour over the, the photos so much. Yeah, so I think we are quite desensitised yeah. to these things. Um, it, it's the nature of the beast, in a way. Yeah. I remember in uh, 2007, I did a talk for the Wolverhampton Chatter Conference, which was essentially a minute-by-minute account of Catherine Erdo's last movements. And it came to the bit where she, she was murdered. And I worked with a guy, and you, you probably know him, Jake Lukanen, who did the images. And uh, I said to Jake, I'm not really comfortable with actually going through in graphic detail what happened to to uh, Kate. And Jake messaged me, we did this for our email, Jake messaged me back says, well, you are at a Ripper conference, so the, these guys would be aware of the case and what had happened. Um, but also, don't you think if you do kind of skip over it or, or make light of it, um, that you're kind of taken away the the absolute abhorrent um mm. of yeah. the crime you know that there is shock factor but there is shock factor to to hammer home a point that this this murderer was an evil mm. terrible awful awful person so i did and when i did it and i went through and finished the talk it's just before lunch so everybody went off to lunch apart from Adam Wood, who organised it, and two lovely elderly ladies. And um, <laughs> these ladies um, asked me for the script, so I worked off a script. Um, and they said, it was a very good talk, but we couldn't hear you. You were very quiet. Well, thank you. And um, I signed the script for them, off they went. Anyway, after lunch, Jeremy Beadle, the TV presenter, was the, the MC for that one. And he introduced these old ladies as um, not descendants of Catherine Eddowes, but part of the Eddowes family. Mm. So and I was sitting next to him. And I thought, oh, so I've just gone through quite graphic yeah. detail. God, in the last moments of, of the, you know, their ancestor. So after it was Stuart Evans who was speaking. So after Stuart's talk, I went back to them. I said, Look, I'm really sorry if I'd known who you were. I probably wouldn't have gone into that much detail. And you know, and they said, No, no, no. It was important that you did. It was because we were ignorant. We didn't know the case. You know, and, and okay, yes. She's a family member as such. We didn't know her, and we didn't know the last moments, and it really did hammer out what had happened to her and how awful these crimes truly are. So whilst I understand where you're coming from, Carl, and, you know, you know, it really is down to the individual and on yeah. how they, they view this, it's important that we don't kind of gloss over it as well. No, absolutely. I, I, I'm just glad mm-hmm. that it's, I'd, I'd rather it was their choice than rather than mine. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I can yeah. agree with. You. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, if it was outside of a Jack the Ripper conference, 
I'd have been exactly the same. I would have yeah. skipped over it. I wouldn't have gone into the detail of it. Yeah, that was when I did the theatrical piece a couple of years ago. That was the thing that I was most uncomfortable about was going into um, the details of the actual mutilations, especially Catherine Eddowes um, and Mary Kelly. You know, but it, like I said, without that, it is just uh, aha, twirling mustaches, saucy yeah. jack, you know, top hats and uh, fog. You know, it, it is the the folk villain type thing, not the character, the yeah. reality it, of. Uh, historical events absolutely it takes some of the mystery away some of the as you say the, the theatrical villainness away from it all and brings home a bit of reality to it yeah um, and, and these crimes were real these were real people it did affect i mean we're discussing 130 odd years later um but i know as you know john knows uh, a couple of um uh, catherine Addo's, well one of catherine Addo's descendants and it impacts on her even though she never knew her great great grandmother yeah. it impacts on her um so so yeah um, we, we we need to kind of it does have Jack does have for the want of a better word an heroic kind of status with some and that should be completely and utterly removed mm, and yeah. by, by hammering home the point that he he was a, a, an evil murderous bastard for the want of a better word yeah. um, does that yeah he wasn't Gentleman Jack by any stretch of imagination, yeah, and, and I think that's the that's the common um, viewing of it these days. And you know, the uh, I, in fact, in the last blog, I put a picture up of uh, of the silhouette with the with the swirling fog and the lamp and the case and things like that, and said, "This isn't it. Nothing like this at all." You know, so that's yeah. a, that's a nice crime fiction picture. It doesn't. Yeah. That's not what happened. And without things like that, you know, we get things like the, you know, the the Jack the Ripper Museum on Cable Street. Uh, yeah. Oh, pose for a selfie with Catherine Eddowes' body, you know, pose for a selfie in Jack's uh, sitting room and stuff like that. You know, it, it takes it's away bit... from the brutality of not just historical events, but, you know, Jack isn't unique. There are still yeah. horrible, horrible men out there like him um, today. And... Yeah, it, it takes away from the reality of um, the effect that type of creature can have on uh, lives. Yeah. yeah. I've seen people lying down in Mitre Square. Mm. Yeah, 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 Philip, Philip said he's seen that a few times as well. I've seen it once and it really did shock me yeah. to see that. They're actually lying down in Mitre Square and I was taken aback by it. And like I say, I've been in the game for 30 odd years. Yeah. And it took me that really as well I had to walk what, what, that what really offended me about that was it, it wasn't just lying down it was the exact position mm. yeah but they knew the position and the, and they and their friends thought it was hilarious but, so yeah, obviously uh, someone who's read up on the case not just uh, yeah yeah I just thought yeah that, that's that's something I want to avoid in this blog I don't want mm. this to be seen as a, a fun thing I want it to be seen as an interesting thing and you know maybe um interesting enough that people go out on their own and start looking for things but um or as such as i do take photos of paving stones or commercial street um my mother's talking some strange to do that, to be <laughs> um, so uh, so my my ask cole how long are you looking at doing this is this have you got a little set just the 10 weeks well, I'm, I'm going to finish it i'm going to oh. do su su suspects this week yeah um next week's going to be other suspects, which I may go, and, I may become a little bit more opinionated in, because I will have to do the real conspiracy. Uh, yeah, 
uh, I, I may go to town on some degree. I don't know if anyone remembers. I put up a photo on the face on the Rippercast Facebook page a while ago of a documentary from um, Stephen Wright book where they put a, a, a map up of um, of the murder spots and it had like Dorset Street running running into Book Row, running into Mitre Square. Yeah, yeah, it's right. a well known. I'll put that photo up again because I love that photo so much because you yeah, do find exactly. yourself moving it around in a sort of circle and sort of, okay, well, if I look at, maybe it's right from this direction. No, <laughs> it's not over there. So I'm going to put that up as well. Um, I'm going to do a Q&A um, for week nine because um, I am asked a few questions on Twitter uh, and I've had some already and week 10 will probably just be a conclusion. Oh. Yeah. Well, the reason, I mean, John John hit upon it on the, at the top of the show and I think it's great that you're doing it in a, in a condensed 10-week period. It, the, but like I said, John, John hit upon it earlier, um, the, the Ripper blog seemed to have died a death, and I think it's simply because there's a material, there's only so much material out there that you can actually yeah. publish in the blog, and it, it does naturally die a death anyway. So to actually have it as a, yes, I'm going to finish it in 10 weeks, is, I think it's a brilliant idea, because it's, <laughs> it's like the old um, Faulty Towers, only 13 episodes made, that's all you need. You can't yeah. do any more, you can do any less. And I think it's a similar sort of thing with this, which I think will be brilliant. I think it will last longer doing it with ten in 10 weeks than it would do if you just carried it on and carried it on and carried on. It would have a greater impact, I should say. But I'm also, um, obviously the 10 weeks covers the nerds as well, so I wanted to sort of to get people to get used to the idea that it ended. Remember when my first blog was a few weeks ago? It's all finished. That's exactly the time yeah. we're talking about. Because I think there's a misconception about was you doing it for, for you know, two years or something like that. And and I thought I, it, they were just they escalated so quickly from Martha Tabram, say, to Mary Kelly in terms of both both the you know well mostly in, in, the, in the violence of the murders. And I wanted to get that across. It's like you know this is just literally. Fewer than fewer than three months in one year, and yeah. it's lasted 130 years. The story, and yeah, I wanted to get that across too. It was a flash that lasted for for many a year. Yeah, absolutely correct. Yeah. And I always think about what people were doing in Whitechapel in 1889, because they must be thinking, well, what we've got to do is wake up one day and read about another one, because you know there was nothing confirmed. Obviously, that had finished. Mm. And what point is the, is the crossing off point where you think? Um, you know, well, that that must be it. Maybe not yesterday, but today, yeah, there's no more murders. If you were living yeah. in White Chapel at that time. So which I think it's a really interesting... Um, you'd still be scared, wouldn't you, I think? But. Well, yeah, but but it's, it's like with anything. I mean, last week, um, kind of, victimised it in a way. Um, life carries on. You know, what, what yeah. happened in West, the awful events in Westminster, you, you get kind of defiant. No, I'm not going to let that dictate my life. I'm going to, you know... But I'm... Yeah. I'm yeah, I'm sure there'd, there'd be a nervousness and a you know a double checking of strangers as you pass by and stuff like that, and people are extra vigilant, especially straight after one of the crimes. Uh, but over a period of time, I think it was a you know life goes on as as I said. Um, but yeah, the, obviously there would be that there would be that you know, who's who's next, when is it, you know where is it, so on and so forth. Yeah, and, and, well, I grew up in Liverpool in the seventies and eighties, and of course the Yorkshire Ripper was. Uh, um, was still at large at that point, and he, of course he committed two murders in Manchester, uh, which is 30 miles from Liverpool. So I, I can remember really clearly my mum and saying, you know, it, it could be it could be here next, just because you know they're, they're looking for him in Manchester, they're looking for him in Yorkshire. Um, and I remember the day he was caught, and, and my mum said to me, "I don't have to be quite so careful anymore." 
Yeah. I think there is a parallel with Whitechapel in that, you know, at what point do you think it's okay now, they've got him? Yeah. I'll be slightly less nervous. And of course, that Whitechapel never never had that moment because he was mm. Yeah. I know my, my, my mother um, was looking at universities at the time when uh, the Yorkshire Ripper was uh, at his height um, and uh, visiting some of the university campuses um, up in that area. Um, they were on high alert, high alert, a lot of the student body were in case he, uh, um, you know, struck there. And I think it was during a bit of a lull as well. So I think there was still, you know, an awareness and definitely Whitechapel would have experienced the same for yeah, yeah, the, a couple of years after. I think, you know, look at the, um, the non-canonical crimes that came after, you know, yeah. there wasn't that much really to link them to, um, the, the Ripper case, you could say, but automatically they were considered by some to be Ripper crimes. Yeah. Well, particularly Alice McKenzie, I think. Mm. It, just in terms of sheer geography around the corner from Goldstone Street. Yeah, that, I think that would have made me nervous had I been around that time. With uh, the um, Dennis Rader uh, BTK murders here in Kansas, um, it was kind of a unique um, situation when he was captured um, and uh, the police were able to identify from his meticulous record keeping of all of the women um, that he had been stalking all that he had yet to murder or had given up or something scared him off or something like that, you know. Um, he kept a whole list of different projects that were that number well over uh, the uh, number of known victims of BTK. Um, yeah. Some of the women that were on his list were in Topeka, Kansas. He had driven up here um, to uh, and was stalking a, one of the local grocery stores um, where I knew a girl who worked there as a cashier. Um, and, um, and they, it wasn't her who, who was stalking. They, she's been kept anonymous and they informed her after the fact, you know, the police said, Hey, you know, by the way, you were being stalked by Dennis Rader. Um, um, but yeah, um, but that kind of word of that, that kind of, um, leaked out, you know, um, amongst uh, the people who worked at the store and everything. So it was only, uh, you know, after the fact, after he's been captured, did we find out that that threat, um, not, uh, you know, that we thought was confined to Park City and Wichita, Kansas, yeah. had, had migrated up towards um, our area of the state. And so we lived our lives day to day, you know, at the time, like nothing was happening, you know, not even realizing, um, you know, the threat that was just, you know, sitting in the parking lot um, yeah. outside of the grocery store here in here in my town. So it, it's kind of a kind of an odd thing. And that's always that's one of the things that draws me uh, that makes me interested in true crime is not so much who did it and how they did it and why they were captured or why they weren't captured, but how, how it affects the community at the time and, yeah. and how the, and how, and then after the capture or, or, or they go quiet or whatever, how people go on how, um, with their lives after, you know, the, in the aftermath of a serial 
killing spree, how, how the victims' families and the community kind of um, cope with <clears throat> that um, situation, you know. I think it's a localized thing as well, and because um, I've got an example that um, my mum has a friend in London, um, in Highgate, and uh, uh, I went to see, I, I dropped her off um, while she was visiting there once, and I got talking to them both, and I said, oh, um, this is really strange that you should live here, because this is a really, in the things I'm interested in, this is a really interesting street. And so why is that? And this is a very, very well-to-do woman. I said, oh, because if you go down that road, if you turn right, you're in Cranley Gardens. That's where Dennis Nielsen lived, killed 16 people there. And the look on their face was just was, was generally one of, well, that wouldn't happen here. It was, it was there. It was literally 200 yards from where we're standing now. It's Cranley Gardens. And I get, when I go back to Whitechapel, I keep thinking the same thing, you know, as I'm walking up George Hutchinson's little um, little path, that, you know, the amount of people are walking past me just think, you don't know what happened here. Something absolutely enormous happened or didn't happen because that's where my George Hutchinson obsession comes from. Um, but you're, you're right when you say it, it affects people in the community before and after, but it's the fact that something so big has happened in such an innocuous area. That's what I find fascinating. I might be alone in yeah. that. <laughs> well, in the, in the East End of London is, is I think, um, maybe a one-off example of a community that's identity is so tied to the Jack the Ripper murders yeah. that um, it's not that they've embraced it. I wouldn't really go far as to use no. that word because you do have groups like the East East End Women's um, Museum group who are trying to um, promote the other aspects of East End history, like the labor movement and the suffragettes yeah. and everything like that. Uh, you know, a lot of towns like Wichita and... Um, Oklahoma City, um, you know, I can look at it from an American's per- perspective, right, and, and rattle off a dozen different um, cities like Waco, Texas, who have had that places that have had m- massive tragedy occur. Yeah, uh, on an international news scale, like not like a serial killer, like the Ripper murders, but like the Oklahoma City bombing, the Branch Davidian yep. complex burning, BTK things like that where they want to move on from those tragedies. Yeah. The East End of London, is his reputation is so tied into Jack the Ripper. Yorkshire and that area, I don't like to see tour companies or, or different organizations there locally thrusting a, an identity onto a place that is trying to recover, still trying to recover from those types of tragedies, you know? Yeah. So it's almost like the East End of London, you know, you can't really replicate that necessarily. You can't, you can't be someone so presumptuous to think, oh, Ripper tours do very well in London. There are dozens of them with hundreds yes. of peoples on the street every night. Let's go to Milwaukee and do the same thing with Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um... You know, I put a photo up recently of um, to show about uh, to show St James passages St James passage sorry, and um, there was a tour guide there who I didn't know and Philip said oh that's uh, I've forgotten the lady's name now and she said something really interesting and I was literally waiting just to go past but I don't want to cut through all these people and um, and she said there is no Yorkshire River walk and she said I, I but I think that's because they caught him 
and therefore is not as interesting as this murder or this series of murders. Well, just wait. Uh, yeah, uh, and and I and I think that's why Whitechapel is so busy. Um, but having said that, there's not you can walk around as I did for years. I can walk around those same streets for years and not know there were, there are were ripple links to it. I mean, I always talk about when I'm approaching. Um, uh, when I'm on Derwood Street from the Brady Street um, end, and there's always the same man who stops me saying, you know, if the road's blocked, you can't go through. Like, I can't see that. Um, and I, I say to him, do you know why, do you get people coming to take photos here? And he said, yeah, I, I and I don't know why. And I thought, well, I thought, well, I'll tell you, that's the, just over there, the other side of that blue board, that's where the first chapter of the murder was, the official one. And, um, and I've had that conversation with him three times. He's forgotten oh. on three occasions, which is really strange. There's nothing, so there's, you know, I know there's a plaque um, the other side of Derwood Street, but there's nothing in the East End which says this happened here. The only things I can think of are the graffiti which says Elizabeth Stride Street on uh, on Enrico Street. Um, and if you go through the archway into Gunthorpe Street, there's a little side window with some Jack the Ripper photos in it. And, oh, and so the White Hart pub has also had a, a sign which says the murders were committed between the 31st of August and the 30th of November, which still annoys me every time I see it. But um, there's nothing else. Nothing else. Not since they changed the name of the Ten Bells. I know that a, th- a few years ago, um, oh, probably probably in about 2011, I think, um, there was someone going around putting plaques up um, on the murder sites and then, and then the council were taking oh, really? them down. Um, yeah, because I remember... Um, I think it was going down, weren't they? It's before one of the um, uh, London jobs. I think me and Neil were walking about um, Mitre Square. Neil was showing me the, the police beats around Mitre Square, and um, uh, there was a, a plaque um, on the flower bed in Mitre Square. Um, and uh, yeah, they were, and the council was taking them down, and then they were being put back by someone. Um, and it was going about for a few months, I think. Okay. I don't, I don't know if you recall, the, 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 it was the same London job when we went to. Uh, uh, I can't remember the church now. St Leonard's. St Leonard's. I've seen that one, yeah. Sure did. Oh, and the um, the the oh. uh, um, on the row on the side um, with the little uh, oh. Dick Shastardly Jack the Ripper. Yes, yes. yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 But there's there's nothing other than the white art. There's nothing that I, you know visual. That I can think of that's not graffiti, you know what I mean? I mean that's kind uh, of there used to well, be the, the the board in in the Ten Bells that since it's been removed since it got renovated a few years ago. But I can't think of anything else that's Jack the Clipper. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause they've got that that uh, silhouette in the window as well, haven't they? Yeah, there, that's right. it's... the fish and chip shop. Um... Yes, yes, that's the point. There's, there's a display up in um, Happy Days, isn't there? Yeah, yeah I, I was there the other day and a friend um, to me said, we, st- we stood outside the arch uh, and uh, and she said to me, the people in this chip shop, do they know about this? Because I was just come and look in the other room. We've <laughs> 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 got everything up there. Oh yeah, they do. Yeah. All right. Um, I wanted to ask you one last question before we, I want to move on. Typically, Oh Dear Boss episodes also like kind of hit through some new books that have been released and things like that, you know? Um, so I want to get to that too, but I want to ask you, Carl, before we wrap up, what source material do you use for your blogs? What books do you most rely on 
uh, when you're writing your pieces for 10 I'm, weeks? I'm reluctant to answer that because because I, I've always tried not to copy a word for word. <laughs> which, um, casebook is the big one, um, that's, which is which is great for timelines, which is that, and that's perfect for, for. So when I talk about Annie Chapman, I go through by almost minute by minute, um, as much as we can ascertain what happened or what people claim happened, minute by minute. So so casebook has been enormous. Even Wikipedia um, has, has been pretty good. Um, when people have said to me. Um, what what my what do I read next? What, what would you suggest I read? I, I always say um, Paul Beggs, The Facts, and, and obviously Sugden. Um, so I've gone through them a few times, and I've probably the Bob Hinton book just because I'm reading it at the moment. But also things like YouTube, so Philip's videos on YouTube are just fantastic for me, just because he he is literally pointing at things and saying this has happened there. Um, so anything that I can possibly read, but I've got quite a good memory for things like this, so I will pick things up. The reason I've, I've not mentioned the um, um, the Tumblety um, uterus collection is because I've got a vague recollection of someone saying once that that man was, wasn't telling the truth. So I tried not, sorry, not, not the uterus, sorry, the, the rings. I've got a vague recollection of someone saying, no, that didn't happen. He didn't have the rings. They, they were just rings, not hers. So I've tried to, so I've got a memory for that sort of thing. Uh, about um, Tumblety uh, possessing Annie Chapman's rings yeah. upon his death. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's one of those elusive facts. The argument against the rings being um, Annie Chapman's was that uh, the appraiser of uh, his possessions at the time of his death gave a very uh, expensive price for. Of what the rings were worth, which yeah. would counter which against Annie Chapman ever being able to have owned them. But yeah. uh, then my colleague comes uh, over and and puts out his book, The Ripper Haunts, where he argues that those values that were assigned to those rings were values that Tumblety gave them himself. And okay. Tumblety, being a master exaggerator, um, <laughs> uh, would have. Uh, inflated the 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 real value of his jewels and his rings and things like that so the so michael hawley tries to turn turn that issue back into a big question mark by saying well now we don't really know the true value of those rings that he possessed so that's in a nutshell the story of annie chapman's rings um so I want to, before we uh, wrap it up, I want to touch on, because this is an Oh Dear Boss episode, we tend to hit some books and media and things um, that have come out, um, because this is like a news and views type of a show, guys. Remember, we haven't recorded yep. very many of these deals. I initially, you know, thought I would have the time to do like um, one, a, one a week or something like that, but I think this is like maybe only <laughs> the third or fourth one I've ever done. I don't know. So anyway... Recent news in Ripperology. Does anyone have anything they want to throw out there before I start to mention a few things? Um, this the uh, Amanda Harvey Percy's book launch. Um, it's due. When was that? Is it the 9th of April? Um, just, but you may have to edit this, John. No, that's okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to figure out find the date. Uh, just bear me a second. Yeah, I'm. Uh, that's a, hold on. the book Jack and the Old Jewelry. Jack and the Old Jury, yes. Um, it's a book about the uh, City of London policeman who worked on the case. Um, you know, the, the bio, bio, bios, stuff like that. 
let me go through it. Yeah, Jack and the Old Jury, the City of London Policeman Who Hunted the Ripper by Amanda Harvey Purse. There's actually a, a book launch um, on in April, and I'm trying to find the date for it, my chap. I think it's something like April the 9th. Here we go. Da -da -da -da. Right, let me go through it. Yeah, City of London Police Museum Special Event. Um, it's uh, join Amanda Harvey Purse for the launch of her new book and to hear more about the lives of the City of London policemen, making them more real than just names mentioned within the famous case. Tickets are £5.90 and it includes talking of wine. I think this is at the Guildhall Library in London on April the 6th. And uh, that book's a Mango book, correct? That's correct, yeah. That's another thing. Um, Mango Mango Publishing House, you know, when they first launched, I thought I would be able to keep up and <laughs> collect every single Mango book huh. that was released, but it turns out that they're coming at such a rapid pace well, that I've I'll, had I'll to miss a few. Adam Wood is costing me a fortune. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, had, I had a chat with Adam, um, I think it was Monday night, over the phone. And uh, if you think it's rapid now, wait for what's about to come over the next few weeks. Uh, it's, it's phenomenal. He says it is. The amount of work he's is, is got to do uh, to finish books off and new books and so on and so forth. So watch this space with regards, Mango. That's great news. Um, yeah. Another book that was just released uh, yesterday is Tom Westcott's new book, Ripper Confidential, which a lot of people um, I've seen have already downloaded the Kindle version and are reading it. He's the author of the Bank Holiday Murders. I'm sure everyone remembers our three-hour-long podcast. And, <laughs> and um, I've, yet, I've yet to download the Kindle version because I have an iPad, and I know I can convert it and all that stuff, but um, I'm waiting to get the paperback copy. But um, mm -hmm. So, so uh, Tom Westcott's uh, long-awaited follow-up to Bank Holiday Murders is out, and we mentioned at the beginning of the show... Um, whether I'll leave it in or not, I don't know. But um, Patricia Cornwell's book Ripper is out. I I I've just downloaded uh, the Kindle version of my iPad, the the immersive one. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit weird. Um, you know, the 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 title page is is her site doing like an autograph on it. it it's. Yeah, it's like yeah. I I I'm not sure I like these books in motion things. I much prefer a, a good uh, hardback. <laughs> yeah, I started it yesterday. I'm about two chapters in. Mm, I, I'm going to start reading it today. Hopefully, it's to get it yet. I'm looking forward to reading it when I get a moment. Mm, um, I'd like at the moment. There's another event, John. That's occurring on the uh, 29th of uh, April. At the uh, Chamberlain Hotel right. in the, the heart of London's East End, and it's a, a poison and poisoners event that's put on oh, the, frog, one of the frogs, the one day symposium, and that's on the like I say that's on the 29th of uh, of April. Um, I guess well, it's the classic. Sorry, it's the Casebook Classic Crimes uh, website. You need to go to for more details on that. Someone um, sent me a link to another event the other day. I don't know um, how good um, it is, but uh, in 
uh, from the end of uh, 25th of May to 7th of June, Apop- Apocalypse Events is holding Whitechapel Suspects, Lunatics and a Leather Apron, which in Sydney Street in Whitechapel. And it's apparently, um, it's an immersive theatrical experience. Oh, um, God. Yeah, walk the streets of Victorian <laughs> London and explore the lives of Whitechapel's residents in a time of mistrust, strife, and full-blown media frenzy. Interact with key characters from the time, have a gin at the Ten Bells, or confess your sin at St. Botoff's. That sounds horrible. Uh, yeah, um, they do one of those at um, Bush yeah. Gardens, I think, um, here in the United States. Yeah. In this experience, you will take on the role of one of the following. A member of H Division's Finest a member of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee, or an impoverished citizen of Whitechapel. So, so. Oh, Jesus. This is the you same know, group, I think, that did the, um, that rented out a pop-up on the site of um, Annie Chapman's murder. Oh, right, yeah. I, I think that's the same organization. That sounds familiar. Apocalypse, whatever they they call them. Apocalypse Events. Yeah, where, where you, they put up a pop-up in the... Uh, old Truman Brewery building where you can spend a night on the um, murder site of Annie Chapman and they pipe in scary ghost sounds and things like this. And That sounds uh, uh, absolutely atrocious if that's the case. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, the, the Poison and Poisoners Conference, uh, that that's kind of slipped under the radar a lot. I think um, I try to promote it as much as I can on the Facebook uh, Rippercast Facebook page. Um, and I haven't discussed with Frog getting recordings of the things, but I, I can't see why well, not. Um, well, it may be, it may be because it's sold out. I'm not sure because I know they get a lot of the clientele from the white Chapel society. Oh, okay. So, and it's, it's a one day symposium. So maybe Frog's kind of put the stop on it because is fully booked up. Oh, that'd I don't be know. Good news. As you say, no, nobody's mentioned anything. I've not seen or heard anything for quite a few weeks now. Right. And since uh, John mentioned something going on this summer, the Jack the Ripper East End London Conference is going to be yep. um, in August, right? That's right. Yes. The fifth and the, Saturday, the fifth and Sunday, the sixth of August. And who's on line, who's uh, all lined up to speak at this one? So far, I know announcements are still being made. Uh, Mark Rippart is uh, doing some uh, doing doing a talk on Israel lip scare. Tom Westcott, Richard Jones, the author, tour guide, and generally good guy. I don't know if John Reese is. You're not speaking, are you, John? No, I'm not. I, I'm probably not even going to be able to make this one. I'm afraid. Uh, but uh, it, it does sound like a brilliant event. I'm actually gutted that uh, I can't be there. Um, oh, John Bennett and Robert Smith apparently also announced as well, according to Post. And Mr. Philip Hutchinson is emceeing, which is uh, always a treat, I find. Yes, yes, and his rabbit suit. Yes, I was going to say, will his rabbit suit uh, make an appearance uh, this time? <laughs> um, if Robert Smith's appearing, I hope he brings the book like he did to York. So. Mm. They, they want to say the book. I obviously mean the Maybrick Diary. Yeah. So it's obviously it's the anniversary this year, isn't it? Mm. Mm. So, no, I, th- I think this is going to be. A, it sounds like a fantastic event. I'm just gutted that I'm probably not going to make it. Um, 
Real shame, but uh, fingers crossed. You know, I'm, I'm sure Jonathan might be able to arrange something for uh, releasing talks, perhaps. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm looking to do some uh, live Facebook streaming, not of the talks, but yeah. of, of various things and you know meetups and chats and so on. But I, but I won't be of the talks. No. Yeah, Adam and I have already been talking about getting me recordings of the talks. Uh, so we'll just have to wait and see. It's a long way off. Yeah. Any anything Ho- can happen. Hopefully there'll be something. Huh? Hopefully there'll be something. Um, just for poor, poor little me who can't make it. <laughs> oh yeah. Priorities are out, John. To be honest with you. Hmm. You got to sort your priorities out, son. Oh no, it's yeah. terrible. It's terrible. It's, uh... All Even right. Cole's good. Uh, yeah, Carl, are you going to be able to make uh, the uh, London conference, do you think? I hope so, yeah. I didn't make it last year. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping um, work is an issue with me at weekends, so um, uh, I'm hoping to make it. Yeah, it's something I definitely want to go through, Cause, but mostly because I've never met anyone. So, so. I haven't either. No, so it's, um, <laughs> There's a reason for that, John. <laughs> very, very true. Very true. <laughs> Just um. Uh... Stay clear of that Neil Bale. He's trouble, I hear. <laughs> I, was, I, I, I always thought that if I could go to London, I'd take like Philip. I, I'd probably take Philip and John's tour both. You know, same time or <laughs> no, no. To, to, um, but you know, not not. Um, I don't know, and, and see if they even recognized me. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It would be real fun to take take the tour just kind of incognito. You know. Until the very end, and then That's just start hammering them with questions. Mystery refrologist. <laughs> Are you sure you've got the right spot there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's honestly, though. I was speaking to Phil about actually doing one of his tours, and he says, no, no, don't come. Because he is really fearful of, of somebody who's quite knowledgeable put, putting him right on various errors that he may make. So it, it, it gives him nightmares, apparently. <laughs> uh, what, uh, yeah, and then we'll wrap it up. But I don't know how much this is going to remain in the podcast. But, um, hey, uh, but that re- that does remind me that Richard Jones tried to kickstart some. Remember when uh, this has been probably a year or two ago now? He he invited only bloggers on his tour uh, for one night, and he he gave like a bunch of. Uh, bloggers i don't know how exactly it was organized but they just signed up different bloggers and he took them on a jack the ripper tour and then the bloggers went back and wrote an article a blog post about going on one of his ripper tours um which was a pretty clever bit of promotion that richard jones did um another tour company that should remain nameless tried to do the same thing a couple of months later if i remember correctly oh did they well it, yeah. it, it <laughs> went down with a big thud because i yes. I, I haven't i haven't heard of it uh i don't I let, so okay so um I, let, I still want to talk but let's just get the end over with here um so i just don't have to cut out too much <laughs> This has been a, been a really long episode of Oh Dear Boss, so we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. As uh, we mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, the link to the 10 Weeks in Whitechapel blog will be um, appearing in the show notes. And we want to thank Carl for being on the show. Thank you. And um, again, excellent work on the blog. And hopefully 
you'll continue on with your writing on Jack the Ripper because I find it uh, not only are you a very good writer, but you're able to, as we've all said, uh, present a really good introduction to the case along with humor. And uh, me as a Ripperologist appreciate you bringing your talents to the subject because it adds to uh, a person's um, experience and when they when they want to research the case so and uh carl uh will be coming back on the show right carl yes yep i'll be on the next one okay all right good deal and i want to thank neil bell the author of capturing jack the ripper in the boots of bobby of victorian london Glad you remembered our contractual arrangement john thank you <laughs> you're welcome and, and john john reese who is a frequent contributor to Ripperologist magazine. And he also blogs on occasion for other blogs. I don't think you have a blog of your own, John, but. Um, yeah, not one that's been updated in the last five years, probably. <laughs> okay. um, but as everybody knows, Neil and John, frequent uh, contributors to Rippergast. So. Uh, and so that's all we have for today. Oh, dear boss. Thanks, everyone, for being on the show, and thanks for listening. See you next time. Ha, 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 ha.